Hello, and welcome to the Plant-Based Liberty Podcast, the official podcast of the LP Plant-Based Caucus. On this podcast, we'll talk with guests and explore where a plant-based lifestyle meets libertarian philosophy and so much more. We believe people have the right to freedom when it comes to what they eat, but they deserve to hear the other side of the story from our perspectives. And with that, here's the Plant-Based Liberty Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Plant-Based Liberty Podcast. I am Plant-Based Matt. And I'm Jessica. And today we are here with Nathan Polsky. How are you doing today, Nathan? Doing pretty good. Or or Nate, which do you prefer? Uh, I will answer to anything you want to call me. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool. I've heard them all. So you don't prefer one or the other? No, I've, I've gone by both my entire life. Okay. All right, Nate, well, tell us about yourself. Uh, all right. Well, I've got lots of things. Um, so I am libertarian. Um, I am the vice chair for the Collin County Libertarian Party of Texas. I am running for state chair of the Libertarian Party of Texas. I'm a Senate district rep for my, for my district. I'm also a vegan. Um, and uh, lots of other things, but uh, those are those are the highlights that are going on right now in my life. So the the reason I know that you're a vegan is uh, we're both part of this uh, uh, this group on Twitter. Um, you might not even know that I was in there because I, I had like my real name. I didn't use like plant based libertarian or anything, but that's how I know that you're vegan. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, so like how long have you been vegan? Um, what made you become vegan? So it was, a, it was an interesting transition. It would have been six, maybe seven years ago. Uh, I was regular Omni before then. I uh, never really thought about going vegetarian or vegan. Um, and then just one day, uh, I don't know if it was someone brought some food into the office or what it was. Um, but I just felt nauseous when I, when I had that smell of meat just wafting through the air. So I said, okay, that's kind of gross. Um, so it kept happening and I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's try to avoid meat. So I went vegetarian initially. Um, that solved a lot of the problems that I was having there. Um, then I always, when I was vegetarian, I was a, was it the lacto vegetarian or ovo lacto. So I would, uh, I would still consume cheese, dairy, but I wouldn't consume eggs. Um, and I got tired of having to explain that to every single person <laughs> that I'm a vegetarian, but I eat this, but I'm not that. Uh, so I said, you know what, let's just go ahead and cut the dairy out while we're at it and just go full plant base. Uh, that's much easier to explain to people. So that was when I initially transitioned to, I would say initially like a, a plant-based diet. Um, but then over the next year or so, uh, as I did more and more research, it went from being plant-based to being an actual vegan. Okay. Cool, cool. What were your main reasons for going vegan? It sounds like your health maybe, but was it the animals um, too or Yeah, I mean, the the main reason was animals. Um wasn't concerned about my health. Uh that was more of an, the initial what got me there. Uh to the vegetarian was uh was my health. Um but then when I saw cruelty that was being done to animals, um, when I just kind of sat down and thought to myself, man, the, these animals have lives. Uh, they have thoughts. Um, they react. 
it just doesn't feel right killing them for any reason. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask if, uh, you know, you said you got put off by the smell of meat. I wonder if you got bit by one of those ticks. You heard that no, whole, whole I, deal? I, uh, no one ever actually asked me that. I didn't even know that was a thing at the time. <laughs> um, thinking back on that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, ticks, if it yeah. was the case. Um, but it, regardless of how I got here, I have no intentions of ever going back. That's great. What would you say some of the health benefits were that you saw? <laughs> Initially, I lost 25 pounds. <laughs> wow. That's Sweet. awesome. Wow. Yeah, I see you. I see you in the gym. I see, I see you out there. Yeah, um, I've, I haven't been going as much frequently. I've, I've got a couple shoulder injuries right now that I'm trying to heal, uh, heal through. Uh, doing some physical therapy as well. But once all that's done and I'm fully recuperated, back at it. Until Good. I injure myself again. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> do a bunch of resistance training. That's what I do for like curls and triceps. Do like the resistance bands. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it's, it's, it works wonders. It's amazing. <laughs> what are some of your favorite books and documentaries that you'd recommend to someone who's curious about going vegan? <sighs> You know, uh, I'm going to be one of those people and say that I've never actually read a vegan book or watched a vegan documentary because by the time I got there, my journey was complete. I didn't need that material anymore. Um, I would say a good jumping off platform. I think it's uh, uh, yourveganfallacies.com. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. No. Um, it's, It's like 12 or 14 common vegan myths and fallacies and it kind of gives the explanation to why those are false and uh it's it's a little introductory introductory uh, education for some people man your path is like so much different than like anybody else i've talked to everybody's like oh watch game changers oh watch yeah the, like you know when, forks when over the, knives when though when all those came out I was already vegan. I was, it was my lifestyle. Mm. I didn't need to go and uh, hurt myself watching that stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. bad enough, you know, seeing the occasional images like on Twitter or just on websites. I'm just like, I really don't want to see that. So to sit down for 45 minutes to an hour and a half watching something, I'm just like, mm-hmm. it's like do doom, it. doom scrolling for a vegan. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> How long did you say you've been vegan? Six or seven years. Wow. That's great. That's awesome that you've kept it up this long. Mm-hmm. And you said you, you're you're happy and don't want to go back. I'm happy. Don't want to go back. It, it, it is hard, <laughs> but it is getting better. Um, especially uh, fast food is, is changing. Yep. Yeah. Um. So on that note, like how hard do you find it to eat vegan in everyday life and like when eating at restaurants or like fast food and stuff like that? Oh, there's a, there's an awesome website or there's two awesome websites and apps. Uh, Happy Cow, which you yeah. probably yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's usually <laughs> my go-to is uh, anytime I'm with a group of people um, or just with my family, it's like, okay, where are we? Uh, pull up Happy Cow. Let's see what there is. Um Worst worst case scenario, well, there's a Chipotle down the street, uh, <laughs> yeah, or a Taco Bell. <laughs> uh, either one of those are great. Um, there's the Veg L website as well. Um, I don't know if you've seen that one. I've um, seen that. Yeah, I use that one a lot for um, as a put instead of looking for vegan restaurants or the restaurants that serve vegan food. It's what can you eat where wherever you're going. Hmm. Um, so I find both of those have helped a lot, um, at home, home is pretty easy. Yeah, for sure. So do you consider yourself a junk food vegan or whole food plant-based or kind of in between? <laughs> I would say in between, I would love to be hundred percent whole food plant-based. Um, that takes time and prep, yeah. uh, a lot of which I don't have right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't understand that. Uh, uh, doing a lot of traveling right now as well for my campaign. Um, 
So I don't really have the opportunity or luxury to spend a couple hours a week or an hour a day preparing and making meals. Uh, so I just grab what I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll talk more about uh, like vegans in general now. Um, do you think it's an unfair that uh, all vegans are stereotyped as like World Economic Forum devotee, uh, super leftists? Yeah. Uh, PETA yeah. is a horrible organization. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was, it was just, it was amusing. I was just talking with somebody about that just uh, the other day. And it's like, you know, most vegans don't like PETA um, because they do more harm to animals than most people do. Um, so, yeah, it's you hear you hear the word vegan and it's like, oh, you're left, you're far leftist. Uh, you want uh, authoritarian rule. You want socialism. I'm like, no, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. probably as free market anti-government as, as you can be. Just don't tell me what to do and I won't tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was really upset to see PETA came out with a vegan Bible. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they, they are uh, very cringe as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't really think of any specific instances off the top of my head, but yeah, I see they're very um, confrontational, I'll put it that way, whenever I see their posts and like they get ratioed almost every single time. I'm just like, man, yeah. y'all are not doing good for yeah, us. Well, and I would say one of the biggest problems with PETA, for example, is they don't they don't look for solutions to rehome and save animals. They say, mm-hmm. well, just like the Canadian healthcare system right now, it's better to put them out of their misery than it is to try and save them. And so that's what they do. Mm. Yeah. The one thing I will give them credit for is they'll give you free materials when you're yeah. trying to teach people how mm. to be vegan, which that, that is nice. Uh, I occasionally you- use them for like looking up uh, different products as well because they kind of go through the whole, is it vegan test? Yeah. Have you done any like tabling, uh, like vegan for any vegan organizations or anything? No. No. So do you feel you have to suppress your veganism when you're hanging around libertarian people? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Funny that um, my libertarian friends will bring up that I'm a vegan more often than I do. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. they make sure that everybody else is aware that I'm a vegan. Um, <laughs> but they do it more in jest as of, <laughs> instead of uh, uh, earnest uh, looking out for me, um, which is fine um, because, you know, we'll, we'll be hanging out and it's, all right, it was time to go eat. All right, where can we go eat that Nathan can eat? Uh, mm. So, so they, they do look out for me that way. Um, but yeah, they'll, they'll be they'll be the first ones to tell someone new that oh yeah, Nathan's a vegan. Mm. Doesn't get enough protein. <laughs> oh <gosh>. no! <laughs> it goes yeah. both ways though, so it's it's a good crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're constantly telling them how evil they are. <laughs> is that, is that the- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll go back and forth. Uh, I bet I eat more protein than you do. I bet I can bench more than you can. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a bummer that we have to like feel like we, you know, have to prove it to people because they're just so, I don't know, they're just so angry Any at the thought of the word. Uh, and we can chalk that up to years of media. Mm-hmm. Um, PETA. They're conditioned <laughs> to believe media, you need milk. PETA. Uh, the dairy industry, the cattle industry, uh, they have millions of dollars where they can run attack ads. Um, and it's just what people have been fed to them their entire lives. That's what's interesting is vegans or uh, libertarians aren't really um, too receptive to the message a lot of times, but we subsidize the meat industry like... Mm-hmm. So much more than, uh, you know, plants. It's it's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, I've seen that stat. I think Veganella um, put it out a bunch. But yeah, it's 
it's that 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 I think that would be a way to get them to try to come onto our side at least a little bit. But I think the hunting culture and just the homesteading, but not in like a vegan way, mm-hmm. just really clouds their perception of it. I you you remove all of the subsidies to the dairy and the cattle industry, and people are going to be crying. Yeah, because <laughs> a hamburger is forty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> a McDonald's hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, their gallon of milk is twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's at crazy. least. Yeah, I mean milk. That's yeah, it's already expensive. But then yeah, you add those, take away those subsidies. Woo boy! And yet a honey crisp apple is what six ninety nine a pound. Yeah, it's- well. If you're here, if you're up in Washington, it's like two ninety nine a pound. <laughs> yeah. Don't, uh, don't, uh, yeah. That's so frustrating. I love Honeycrisp apples, and they're so expensive here. Um, so where do you see the intersection of libertarianism and veganism? Um, so personally, me or uh, myself, I have kind of applied the non-aggression principle to more than just humans. Um, I, I apply it to animals, um, pretty much everything else I can. Uh, so when I look at the do no harm, do not aggress against another individual, I expand that on to cows, pigs, horses, whatever else. If, now, if I have a farm and uh, I've got boars that are destroying my crops, I'm going to make sure those boars aren't destroying my crops. Now, I will do what I can to get them off my land first, but if they continue to destroy it, well, you've you've passed the, the point of no return. <laughs> I won't yeah. eat them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there are some vegans who would uh, not want to uh, get rid of a hornet's nest just because they'd be killing hornets, but... You definitely have to use uh, some nuance and some judgment there, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what it is. Um, well, and, and that's what some that's something that a lot of non-vegans don't understand is that veganism isn't just you can't ever do this. You you cannot like you must go out of your way um, if you consume something that you like, that's flesh or you consume dairy. Uh, you're losing your superpowers. You know, we've all, we've all seen Scott Pilgrim. Um, and it's, that's not veganism. Veganism is best effort. Do what you can, best effort to avoid. If somebody slips something into your food, you're not going to die. Just try to avoid it again in the future. But I mean, it's, it's just a purity contest like anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, libertarianism for sure. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. who... Who is the most libertarian? Who is the most vegan? And it just it just turns into this giant battle and so stupid tribalism for sure. Oh, yeah, you're not a real libertarian unless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, do you grow your own food? You mentioned you have crops. No, I don't. I don't have any crops at the moment. No, I'm in the I'm in the process of trying to sell my home um, and then move out to the country. Get you know, looking to get five acres out there. Awesome. Um, and then I would be growing my own crops pesticide free i hope of course <laughs> <laughs> the only way. pesticides on my lawn as it is it's probably why it's dying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, but at least it won't uh destroy the um ecosystem oh yeah i've there's a there's a beast one that's been in my tree for four months oh wow a I bee just, swarm bee swarm it's I don't want to get close to it, but it's a good foot and a half across. Whoa. It's, it's the nest. The oh nest. gosh. <laughs> and everything's, everything's bigger in Texas, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. We, we had some, uh, some guys out to trim some of our tree and I pointed up there. I was like, you going to do anything about that? And they're like, nope, <laughs> we're not going near that. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's just really hard because like it, in order for people to do what you're saying, you know, the seeing animals in the non-aggression principle, mm-hmm. seeing, you know, seeing that they would have to basically be reprogrammed. I mean, I'm talking libertarian terms here that I see all the time <laughs> on Twitter. They basically have to be reprogrammed to see, you know, fishing as, you know, really violent act. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't, that's a, that's a very hard uh, thing to overcome with the general population for sure. It is, especially as a libertarian where you don't want to force people into your own ideals. It's yeah. twice as hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know some uh, vegans would counter and be like, well, you're forcing your, you know, you're, you're forcing your lifestyle onto these animals by eating them. And I, I mean, I kind of get that, but I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. It is. Mm-hmm. It's tough being a libertarian and trying to, uh, be for the animals because mm-hmm. yeah, the libertarian culture is definitely one of hunting, fishing, homesteading, right. just very non-animal friendly. <laughs> Seeing them as less than for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. So what made you become libertarian? Uh, um, I don't know what actually made me become libertarian. Um, Ideologically, probably all of these have been. Um, Growing up, my uh, my father's a Republican, my mother's a Democrat. So politics was never something that we were allowed to discuss at home. It was never something that I got involved with while I was living at home. Um, when, When I finally got out of the house, since I was never exposed to it, no idea what was going on. Didn't really pay attention. Um, the first time I actually did look into politics was 2016 when I saw that Donald J. Trump and Hillary Clinton are running for president. And I said, these are the worst people in the world that could ever run for president. What are my other options? Um, and so I saw Gary Johnson and it's like, okay, who's this guy? Oh, he's a libertarian. He's a libertarian. I've heard that word before. Um, and I started looking into it and said, oh, this is me. <laughs> and it's just been that way since. So I think I remember hearing when you were on, what is it Swamp? With swamp, swamp creatures. Creatures, yeah. I always want to say Swamp Cast for some reason. Swamp I think Creatures. Both. <laughs> oh, Okay. Uh, yeah, Swamp Creatures, and you are talking about, uh, did you say that you ran for city council? I did. I ran okay, for three city years council in a row. three years in a row. Um, this year was my the third year to run. Um, I've decided to not run again um, since I, one, plan on moving. Uh, it would be very difficult to do so. Um, and reshifting my focus into the state party and more libertarian focus as opposed to trying to win a bleeding red or and blue city into libertarian ideals when it's always the most important race. Mm. Did, did you feel like you got any headway in that area in three years? Oh yeah, absolutely. So the, the first year I ran, um, when I spoke with the city secretary, she had said that that year was the largest number of people that she's ever seen run for city council at once. <laughs> uh, there were three positions open, uh, three places, and the city I'm in, Allen, uh, all the all the seats are at large, so anybody in the city can run for any place. And each place had at least five people running. Oh wow! Um, and each place had a uh, GOP endorsed and a Democrat endorsed candidate. Uh, mm. so if you were not one of those candidates, uh, good luck getting anywhere above 5%. And so the first year I ended up with 3%. Um, but along that way, I got a lot of opportunities to talk with a lot of the Republicans, a lot of the Democrats in the area, um, learned who they were. They learned who I was. Uh, so then the following year I ran against, um, Initially, when I submitted my name in, there was two places open. I put my name in uh, the one open seat because the second seat was had an incumbent who was going to run again. 
He even thanked me for not running against him. I was like, oh, you're, you're very welcome. Um, wait, no, that was third year. Was it? No, that was the second year. That was the second year. Sorry. That was the second year. Uh, so, yeah, so I put my name in against uh, an open seat. Um, one of the local Republicans, uh, he put his name in to run against me. It's going to be a two-way race. And then a third candidate put his name in who was um, mentored by the incumbent. Uh, so there was three of us running in one place and I said, well, this isn't fair for me. So I took my name out of that place and put my name against the incumbent. Uh, he was not very happy. Um, I made him actually campaign. I made him actually spend money to win his reelection. Um, and I ended up with 25% of the vote, um, oh, awesome. running against a Republican in a conservative city, uh, which, uh, the Republican party refused to in- endorse or recommend him. Um, even though he's a 40 year Republican, uh, they recommended me for all of 24 hours, um, oh, wow. because they found out afterwards that I was an officer in the Libertarian party. And apparently it was against their policy to recommend officers of the oh, party. Oh, <laughs> so they called me up and said, uh, you have two options. Either one, we can rescind a recommendation, or two, you can resign your officer role and we'll, continue, we'll let her recommendation persist. Ooh. I said, I'm not, I have, you know, uh, I'm party of um, uh, uh, my brain is foggy right now. Uh, principles. Um, party principles. <laughs> yeah, party I'm not going to yeah. ruin my principles to get the Republican recommendation. So I thanked him for the recommendation, as short-lived as it was, um, but enough Republicans uh, knew uh, that the, Repu- the GOP preferred me over the Republican. Um, and so I got a lot of their support there. Uh, then the Democrats came out and they gave their full support to the Republican. So a lot of people started questioning them. You know, why are the Democrats supporting the Republican over the Libertarian? Uh, mm. Something doesn't jive here. Uh, and yeah, so it turned out 25%. Uh, I spent about um, maybe a fifth of what he spent on his on his campaign. Wow. Which wow. I thought, I'm like, okay, made, made him work for it. Uh, and then the third year uh, I ran, it was an open seat, ran against... Uh, uh, he was the former chair of the planning and zoning committee within the city, and he'd been there for ten years. So he was mm. heavily entrenched, entrenched within the city already. I uh, had a lot of support from that. He was also a Republican. Um, Republicans also would not recommend him or endorse him. Uh, this time, uh, they didn't recommend me either because I was an officer. Um, but then you had the Democrats also recommending him. Hmm. Uh, so interesting. So people kept asking, why are Democrats recommending and endorsing Republicans over libertarian? Uniparty. Because it's, it's a uniparty. <laughs> um, they all felt that the Republicans were going to give the Democrats what they wanted if they got elected. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So you were the wild card book, and I was the wild card. Uh, so I ended up with, I think it was 26% again, um, when I had basically a party and a half against me. Jeez. Jeez. That's wild, man. <laughs> so, yeah. You live in like a, uh, it's like 50, 50, right? Pretty much. Alan is about 50, 50. Um, the, the Democrats will let you know that in 2020, Alan voted for Joe Biden. Oh. Um, but you've got. Everybody on the city council uh, and the mayor, they're all Republicans, at least they're card-carrying Republicans. Um, If you ask me, some of them are not as Republican as they want you to believe. (laughs) (laughs) What are some books that you recommend for someone wanting to learn more about libertarianism? Uh, First one, probably the easiest one, is Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. Um, That's... Free market economics right there. Um, it helps educate and teach people why the government uh, government control over money is a bad idea. Um, second one is, uh, was it, I just looking at it, it was the, 
Anarchist Handbook? No. And uh, Anatomy of the State? Uh, Anatomy of the State. That's the one. Yeah. By Mary Rothbard. That one's pretty short, so it's a quick read. Um, there's an audiobook for it that's free. It's an hour long, so it's not hard to get through. Um, both those, I think, are good jumping in points. That's uh, that's interesting. So why do you think why do you think you can you know you're able to say those, but then like a vegan book? I don't mean to put you on spot or anything, mm-hmm. but like it's like you can't you haven't read any vegan books. Is it because of that? Like you're just like I already know. Like just get it out of here. Like I already know yeah, how bad I mean, it is. The for me it is. You know, I follow vegans online. I follow vegans on Twitter. I follow vegans on YouTube. I watch their content. I see their stuff. Um, but trying to get people to understand libertarianism, I think in today's climate, especially the political climate, that's where most of my focus is. Uh, you know, if I look at myself, um, if from a vegan and libertarian standpoint, I am more a libertarian first, vegan second. I mean, I'm not going to um, uh, ruin my morals for either one. You know, they go hand in hand. But when I'm talking with people that I meet at events, I'm not trying to convince them to be vegan. If they mm-hmm. ask me about it, here's you know here's what I'll tell you about it. But with my current time um, campaigning, uh, I'm campaigning for Libertarian Party. So I have to be able to explain to people that are either A, already Libertarians, but maybe they're on the wrong side of Libertarianism um, or are trying to get them into the party. Here's why you should be a Libertarian. Hmm. I forget what Can I you explain what that means, the wrong side of Libertarian? Um, yeah, well, so, I mean, like if you look at Republicans and Democrats, for example, you've got right and left, um, you've got, then you've also got the, um, older generation of Democrats, you know, the past 20, 30 years where their principles haven't changed, but the democratic party's principles has changed. So Mm. they still consider themselves Democrats, but not the same as the uh, today's Democrats. Uh, libertarians, you've got conservative, conservative libertarians, you've got liberal libertarians. Libertarian party as a whole is a giant umbrella term um, that expands both very conservative and very liberal. Um, and some that are, oh yeah, we need to give the government more control over X. We need to give the government more control over Y. We need to listen to what the government's saying. It's like, y'all, You've been doing that for how long now? And it's it, it's wrong every single time. So trying to get them out of that space where they are just so accustomed to following the same old path that they've been following. How could you be a libertarian and want the government to do anything, though? That's what I'm That's wondering. That's excellent <laughs> question. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, I would think the umbrella would fit everyone that's like, oh yeah, I have these like crazy liberal like commie ideas, but I don't want a government to enforce them. Like, I mean, I, I guess well, was agorism is like the f- super far left of libertarianism well, in I mean, theory. The, I mean, libertarians, you've got, um, do you know what the Dallas Accords are? No. So the Dallas Accords were, was a set of accords that the Libertarian National Party um, established 71 it was 71 or 70 it was well, 70s when the party was formed yeah so it was 71 or 72 i forget um but libertarians at the time and still today you have a split between minarchists and anarchists hmm. so anarchist says you know we say we don't want the government to control anything we don't want them in power we don't want anything to do with the government Give us our freedom. Government has no rights to do any of this. Minarchists, oh yeah, we need police. Mm. We we need a central uh, local government to to manage the streets and to do all this kind of stuff. So the Dallas Accords were 
um, a way for both minarchists and anarchists within the Libertarian Party to kind of come to a middle ground where we're not leaning one specific direction. We can have both side, both views within the party itself. So you're anarchist. I'm an anarchist. Yeah. So what would you do if there was no police? Privatize it. <laughs> okay. Okay. private so if there's no if there's no government police then that opens up the playing field for private security um businesses can say can have the option of which private security firm they want to go with they can shop around see okay who has better deals what are the you know what's the turnaround time if i have to pick up the phone and call them um will they have somebody on site 24 7 um, or during business hours or after hours, uh, if you're a homeowner, um, do you want private security in your neighborhood? Do you want someone to respond when you pick up the phone? Is that something that maybe your insurance company for your house will either require or they could subsidize to say this, you know, um, who's a big one? State Farm, let's say they subsidize or they contract with private security firm A. So if you have State Farm insurance, you get this as well. It's yeah. a good plan. Yeah, like it. yeah, yeah. If you yeah. don't like it, if you don't like who you have, find somebody else. And uh, I mean, that, the ultimate thing is accountability, right? Like that exactly. would lead to much more accountability than just, I mean, government never takes accountability for anything. No, they um, don't. <laughs> and that's and, part and of it. They'll point and, fingers at everybody else. Yeah. And once, once you make somebody accountable and have to um, deal with the consequences of their actions, then people and companies are going to be held to a higher regard and they're going to change their tune so they can maintain customers because they want money. And you, if you don't have customers, you're not making money. money. If the government's not there to bail you out, then you need to make sure that you keep having those customers. I know somebody says it like, what is it? Culture is downstream of politics. Is that what it is? Basically like, I mean, we have such a culture of not taking accountability right now. It's kind of hard to see that kind of future. Like we would have to reprogram everyone to uh, take more accountability. But There's baby steps to get there too. Yeah. Yeah. I see a lot of people like I get frustrated in that way because I'm I'm the same, and it's like you know the anarcho capitalists. It's like I want this dream utopia, but I know there's mm-hmm. no way that's going to happen like right now. Like it's going right. to take a basically mass awakening. Like it's going to have to take people baby steps, like you said. Right, and I, I've seen there's been I think two, maybe three different towns in the U.S. that have gone full libertarian overnight and cut their budgets in half and start privatizing everything and cutting off all the public services. Each one of them has failed because they never had a plan. Mm. They just said, we don't want the public services. We're going to cut them off, but we have nothing ready to take over those services. So they end up failing and being used as a poster child as this is why libertarianism doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah you take these steps. You have to have a way to transition from the existing infrastructure to that libertarian ideology. So I'm, I'm guessing like Portland would be an example of that, you know, just like legalizing drugs <laughs> and then all of a sudden. Oh, uh, Portland, uh, Philly uh, yeah. was also like that. Uh, I know Philly started having privatized private security at businesses because the police weren't doing anything. I think the hard part for me to wrap my head around is how would environmental factors work? Like who would be in charge of making sure the air and the water are clean? So from an anarcho-capitalist standpoint, um, and I also, uh, I'm big on the environment too. Um, uh, property rights reign supreme. Mm. So if you have a business that is contaminating the soil, if they're contaminating the water, they're polluting the air, if they want to do it and they can contain it on their property, 
all the power to them. But once it starts leaching over to somebody else's property, once it starts having that downstream effect, now they are violating somebody else's property rights. Mm-hmm. Now they must, you know, go through a court, uh, through the court system to rectify that. And, you know, people would say, yeah, well, that happens today and nobody does anything about it. But yeah. if, if you have problems, if, you truly have property rights and not this crony mm-hmm. system, this crony justice system, then you would actually mm-hmm. get justice. Like that would yep. be, that would yeah, be today the, the, the government slaps a fine on somebody and nothing happens. Yep. Or oh, this, uh, we'll, we'll fix it in the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah. All you have to do is watch uh, the documentaries on the opioid e- epidemic with uh, uh, Purdue. Just to see exactly. Oh, did how you that, watch that Netflix series? The Netflix and Hulu. Which uh, which one was the Netflix? Netflix which was, was Painkillers, and uh, Hulu was Dope Sick. Yeah, I, I watched Painkillers, and oh, I felt so bad afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Dope Sick made me cry like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. It's awful. And and people don't draw the correlation of you. I mean, it isn't just relegated to that one company or that one, mm-hmm. you know, area, like government has their hands in everything. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Um, so what, I mean, you said you're a, well, anarcho-capitalist. So what libertarian uh, thinkers do you hold in high esteem? Um, I would say Rothbard is probably my go-to. Um, whose ideology I align with probably the most. Um, there's, there are a lot of them out there, um, but anyone who's going to lean more of the free market um, anarcho-capitalist is going to probably be where I fall um, and where I would try and point uh, people to. Of course, Ron Paul. Yeah, vegans hate capitalism. <laughs> so and that's another hard thing to get through. Well, again, that goes back to crony capitalism. Is what it's they crony. Yeah, yeah, we don't have a true capitalist society. We have yep. a crony capitalism, uh, capitalist society. So with all those subsidies going on right now, in a truly free market society, you're going to see a lot less meat and dairy on the tables. Yep. Yep, just like we were talking about, the subsidies it would just, I mean, it would just make it unaffordable. Like people would go mm-hmm. to eat and meat like, you know, three times a week, maybe something like that, or at least severely once a week limiting it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, depending on situations for sure. Can you explain crony capitalism for people who don't know? <laughs> <laughs> you want to do it or you want me to do it? <laughs> I'll, I'll let you do it. Mr. Mr. Uh, Texas chair (laughs) to be Uh, crony capitalism is uh, lobbyist groups uh, where you have big pharma, you have big banks, big businesses. Uh, They spend money to have the federal government create laws that help them and hurt competition. That's (laughs) most of it in a nutshell. (laughs) So without that, obviously, government would have nothing to do with. Exactly. With, without that. So, um, for example, um, IP laws for uh, pharmacy, pharmacies, uh, big pharma. A new drug hits the market. Uh, they have an IP on it that says no one can make the same product for 20 years, 10 years, whatever it is. Insulin. It's a big one. Um, the company that owns that costs pennies to make. They can charge as much as they want. The IP says no one else can make it. When the IP comes up for falling off to be to allow any company to make the same product, they tweak the formula just enough to allow them to file another patent for it. Wow. Uh, so there's lots of little things like that. Um, you have, um, a lot of, uh, big companies that are coming in, like, uh, here in Allen, we just had an HEB, uh, just opened up, uh, big box, uh, grocery store. Um, 
probably bigger than a Walmart, about the size of a Sam's um, or a Costco, right across the street from a little residential grocery store. <laughs> and they worked, they gave the city a lot of money to do it. Um, they put on a lot of events. So they have the money to throw around and let them go where they want and stomp out competition. But would that not happen in a regular capitalist society? Like if you have the money, couldn't you do that? Sure, but you in in a regular capitalist society or in a free market capitalist society, um, if you have the money to purchase the land, um, because there wouldn't be any zoning laws either, um, you can purchase land, you can build your grocery store or whatever you want, wherever you want. Um, but then that lets the small businesses do the same thing. Mm. So they can band together. They can buy up, uh, areas of land where they prevent, uh, bigger stores from coming in. Um, and they're not, the big stores are getting discounts from the city. Uh, oh, I see what you're saying. To yep. allow them to then undercut the small businesses. So when you remove all of that, everybody's on the blue playing field. Yep. Um, so, yeah, talking about anarcho-capitalism and all this crony capitalism and everything. So we know you're a member of the Mises Caucus. Um, what is the Mises Caucus and what made you join it? Uh, so the Mises Caucus uh, is one of the caucuses within the Libertarian Party. Um, it is uh, on the free market um, Austrian economics uh, ideology from the Mises Institute, the Ron Paul Revolution back in said 08, I think it was. Um, and the Mises Caucus's goal is a decentralized revolution. So libertarians have the best opportunity to win in politics at local level and nationally sure we can show up to events we can do podcasts we can do interviews great but we're we're not going to get a, a big turnout where we have the best opportunity to win is going to be at those local levels at the city council the school board uh, county positions and the mises caucus is drive to put libertarians into those positions um, and that's actually when I first found out about them. So the, the first time I ran for city council, uh, city council, uh, I was not a member of the Mises caucus. Um, I was a card carrying libertarian. Uh, I showed up to our county meetings. I introduced myself, you know, I said I was running for office and someone asked, said, Hey, have you heard about the Mises caucus? No, who were they? Um, and the Mises caucus, throws their support behind libertarians who they feel have a chance or who are having a message to win at these local races. So I reached out to them, um, got their support um, to run for office. Um, then I got heavily involved with them because I said, this is, this is the path forward. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I am also a Mises caucus member as well, as well as a plant-based caucus member. As as are you. <laughs> Still need to write our uh, uh, write a plank and all this all this type of deal. But haven't haven't gotten a, <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, yeah. I need to do that too. Well, we have a website for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I need to get one for the for the caucus. <laughs> I really I really would love to do something cool at a convention. Are you going to be able to make it to national? Oh, national. That's the plan. Um, I'm planning on going to national. I haven't bought any tickets yet. Um, a lot of that hinges on my house being sold. Um, I've had to sink a lot of money into it just to get it ready to show mm. and to get it sold. So the available funds to purchase a, uh, a ticket for that and look for airfare and look for hotels, not on the cards at the time. Uh, so, so you've gone to the, uh, Texas convention. Have you gone to that every year? 
Uh, I went to the one last year. That was the first one I attended. Okay. Um, the, what, the year before that, um, I wasn't involved at the state level. Or the, and that would have been 2018. So that was before I even really knew there was a local county party at the time. Okay. Um, I, I first signed up with the national, got my card that way. Um, and then was on the national, uh, what was it? Um, before they were on Discord, I forget what the platform they're using. Before um, there was hardly anybody ever on it, and I had talked about them. They're like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I have no idea what's going on." And they're like, "Oh well, here's your local county party. Here you go, go reach out." So I'm like, "Oh, okay." Um, so I started doing that in 2019. So that was after the last the 2018 state convention. But yeah, I went to it last year. It was, it was good. It was, it was local to where I'm at, so didn't have far to go. No, that's always nice because Texas is a huge state. I was I I couldn't believe on that podcast. It's tell tell uh, our listeners how many counties y'all have in Texas. Two hundred something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, we have Texas has more than twice the number of counties of any other state, mm. and I think Florida is like a hundred something. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that many, but I guess we do. Yeah, because yeah, we have a bunch of unaffiliated counties, so I'm think, sure y'all do too. <laughs> yeah, I think I think last time I checked, we're about sixty percent affiliated population wise. Oh, okay. Population wise, <laughs> we're about sixty percent affiliated uh, because West Texas. I mean, you've got counties out there with a total population of six hundred people. Okay. Wow. How much? How much of the state have you seen? Like just traveling. Well, I can I can say that I've driven from one side to the other side because back in September we had our quarterly meeting in El Paso, um, and I don't like flying if I don't have to. So I said, "All right, here's a nine hour trip." <laughs> so, so I drove from one side of the state to the other side. Uh, nine hours was there for a day and a half, then drove back. <laughs> wow. That's how Florida is too, though. Like we're up in the Panhandle, and to get to Miami, that'd be like ten hours or something crazy. Yeah, or would yeah, it be more hours. than that? Yeah, ten. Ten, ten, ten and a half. Yeah, yeah. Miami's down yeah, but there. If you're right? in Miami, you want to go to the other side of the state from there. It's not that long. <laughs> well, if you want to, if you want to come east up to west. where we are, yeah, <laughs> oh, east, east to west. west. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that'd be interesting to see where like the furthest points away from each other are in Texas. Um, I can say that, um, what is it? It's not Midlothian. Centerville, I think, area. It's about four, four and a half hours west of where I'm at. And that's about four and a half hours to everywhere else in Texas. Mm. Wow. So (laughs) if you're there, anywhere you want to go, if it's Amarillo, if it's Corpus, if it's El Paso, if it's Dallas, four and a half hours. Wow. That's pretty wild. What was the name of it again? Uh, I I, want to say it's Centerville or it's either Centerville or Midlothian. Huh. One quick question. What's the update on the Alamo, uh, the the eminent domain that was happening to that bar by the Alamo? That was the Moses Roses down in San Antonio. Um, they settled. Um, they eventually settled. Um, they did not release what the settlement amount was for, how much it was for. Um, but the bar owner did say that it was a, a good was a good uh, agreement that they came to. Um, yeah, no, that was, was good old Texas. <laughs> so for our listeners who don't know, eminent domain is when the government basically says, hey, we want your land and we're going to take it. <laughs> and that we don't want it, we're going to take it. Well, and it's even better is that it was a bar right outside the Alamo. Mm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> While they were trying to, while they were trying to seize the property, so for eminent domain, it has to be for public good, has, you know, for roads um, or something else like that. No, they wanted to put up a museum. Mm. Not, it's not a public good. That's a museum where you can make money. Um, this is like a museum gift shop type thing. Um, so already not a cause for eminent domain. 
And while they had this eminent domain battle going on, uh, the Texas government was celebrating out the uh, Alamo. Wow. We're all out there celebrating <laughs> Alamo while you got protesters right across the street saying, stop taking our stuff. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. man. So um, you're running for chair of the Libertarian Party of Texas, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, why'd you decide to run for chair and what chances do you plan or what changes do you plan to make when you become chair? Uh, so I decided to run because I had several people ask if I was willing to do the job. And I said, well, first, is anybody else willing to do the job? <laughs> <laughs> And they said, no. I said, okay, well, if nobody else is willing to do the job, then I guess I will do it (laughs) or I will throw my name in the hat. Um, So I I guess I'm just a sucker for punishment, for abuse, um, stretching myself thin. Um, But I I personally feel that the the state party uh, is not focusing on the right stuff. Um, So either me getting elected or somebody else who has similar values. Great. That's, that's what we we need to change of course. Um, at the moment, nobody else has thrown their name in. Uh, so I'm currently running unopposed, uh, but our state conventions in April. So there's a few months between now and then that anybody could announce, um, changes I would like to make uh, more. I plan to make is, uh, the first and foremost is change the direction of the party and what its focus is. Uh, Texas, the Texas government is constantly trying to um, deballot us. Uh, they're trying to kick us off the ballot. They're trying to uh, make it almost impossible for libertarians to run. So we have to keep fighting that. Don't plan on stopping that. Um, but uh, as I mentioned earlier, Uh, especially like with the Mises Caucus, winning local races is where we have the best shot at making a change and getting elected. Problem with Texas having over 200 counties is a lot of these counties are really small. We have two, maybe three people who are in a county that they get affiliated. They have no tech skills. They have no marketing skills, they have no outreach skills, and a lot of them are just said, you know, told, congratulations, you're affiliated now. Here's mm. some material you can read. <laughs> and left on their own to not build a website. They may have a Facebook, they may have a couple, you know, one meeting a year, and that's about all they do. Um, so infrastructure-wise, create that platform for them where those counties that are either too small, don't have the skills can have something handed to them to say, here, you need a website built. Here's a County website for you. You know, expand our IT team um, to be able to create those uh, for them for local candidates. If you've got a small County that someone says, I want to run for mayor, I want to run for, county sheriff, I want to run for city council or school board. And the, again, the county has no idea or no way, or no knowledge on how to help them. Here's the state party. You know, let's give you the resources. We can get a team together. We can get campaign managers to help you out, walk you through the process, tell you what you need to do, help you along the way. Um, so I think that would be a great boon and uh, help for some of our smaller counties, uh, for some of our candidates. Uh, so that's our that's the first change I want to make. Uh, the second change I want to make is give our volunteer staff more autonomy. Um, they are um, I wouldn't say, they're not they're not appointed they're not elected they're they're hired as volunteer staff. They go through an interview process. Um, they they're supposed to bring a certain set of skills to whatever position they get put into. If, if someone gets hired on as volunteer staff, then that means they're trusted enough to do the job. So let them do the job. Um, having to go and ask for permission to do things that falls within their job description just, just takes too much time. 
Um, I'm, I'm currently like, for example, I am in the process of trying to get a coalition formed. I've been working on it for two months. It took me all 30 minutes to write the coalition paper. The rest of the time is waiting on other people to get things signed, to get checked to, and just stuff isn't happening. So if, if, if I had the autonomy that I needed, could have had it posted, reviewed, probably have a coalition by now. Um, comms department, IT department, just let them do their job. Um, hand in hand with that is weeding out people that refuse to do work with individuals because of their affiliation. Um, they're one of the problems that we see in other states that, whereas the Mises caucus has come in and have, you know, quote unquote, taken over. Um, not all the states have done the same. Some have worked together with the existing members. Some have kicked out the existing members, um, but that's not Texas. In Texas, you want to work with everybody, but because of what's happening in other states, there are some folks that see that and say, well, we don't want that to happen here. So we're going to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen here. So what does that mean? That means you're a Mises caucus member. I'm not working with you. So all it does is create the exact environment that is happening in these other states here. So those people, they may have knowledge. Great. Maybe we can use you somehow. But if you are volunteer staff, if you're if you are working with the party and you refuse or if you undermine or go out of your way to taint or ruin something because of someone's party affiliation, you do not belong here. Uh, so doing those, uh, making those changes. And then the final change I want to do is focus on our coalitions, working with organizations um, on single item issues. Um, we may not agree with another organization's entire platform, everything they want to do. But you know what? This one organization is really great on property rights. Let's work together with them on property rights. We don't have to pay attention to the rest of the platform. We don't have to acknowledge it. We can say we're not, we don't agree with it, but on this one specific issue, let's do it. Uh, we have too many people right now that they see, oh, here, here's the name of an organization. Uh, I'm not going to work. I don't want to work with them because of their name. Um, here's their platform. I don't want to work with them because of here's their huge overall platform, or they have a lot of Republicans that are on staff, or they have a lot of Democrats on staff. Well, you know what? Okay, so what? Do they want liberty? Do they want property rights? Do they want gun rights? Let's work with them on that. Cool, cool. Yeah, I love that. Love that. And I hope uh, I hope you have a lot of success, a lot of success in your campaign. Yes, good luck. So <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate your time tonight, Nathan. Um, how can people find you and help your campaign? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter or X, I think is what we call it now. Yeah. Uh, Nate, Nate the ANCAP. Um, you can also find my website, NathanForLiberty.com. Um, I am, like I said, uh, I am trying to make my rounds around the state uh, that needs gas. Texas is big. There's a lot of miles to cover. Uh, so five bucks here and there would be an awesome way to help me get to these different locations so that I can meet with counties. I can meet with individuals and other organizations and say, here's, here's what I plan to do and why you should come out and vote for me. Great. Awesome. awesome. Well, I hope you win and make everyone eat bugs. Uh, naughty bugs Uh, (laughs) that was a joke for all y'all that aren't in in the whole thing I I do also want to just as far as also helping is um, Texas the way our convention system works uh, for all those people who are either libertarians and don't participate or just don't know what, you know, what Texas has to go through to vote in our conventions is we have three different days that you have to attend in order to, to participate. Um, I know some states it's just a single day, um, but we have our uh, precinct convention, county convention, 
and then our state convention. And you must attend all three in order to participate and vote. So it's three days you have to block off uh, in order to do that. Um, in Texas as well, you can get affiliated to the Republican Party or the Democratic Party by signing petitions that will put uh, stuff on their primary ballots. Don't sign those because that will affiliate you and make you unavailable to participate in libertarian activities for the next year. Oh, wow. Wow. All right. Well, we appreciate your time very much, Mr. Nathan Polsky. And uh, yeah, good luck on your campaign. And hopefully we'll see you as the next Libertarian Party of Texas chair. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode of the Plant-Based Liberty Podcast.